0: It's the World Wide Sports Radio Network. 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 Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show. On the World Wide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. here. And here's your host, Ryan Ryan Hickey.
1: Good Thursday morning. Welcome into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show live with you for the next two hours as we go to 11 a.m. Eastern, getting you ready for a big week number three in the NFL and a big week number four of college football. A lot to get into. Plus, not only do we have a lot of football to get into, A little basketball as well, because in Philadelphia, there is drama. More drama between Ben Simmons and the organization. Ben says he's done. Doc Rivers is publicly begging for him to come back. How will this end? I have a solution, and I have an idea. I'll tell you about it in about 40 minutes or so from now. Still have a lot of quarterback questions to get into, as a lot of unfortunate injuries happened last week. In week number two, that impact week number three and beyond, we will touch on as well. Hickeys pickies, a Thursday staple. The guy I'm very excited about because I think it's perfect timing for the man who will come on in an hour and 20 minutes from now, 1020 Eastern. Brian Tripp. He is a Penn State alum. He is the sideline reporter for Penn State football. So he was on the field during the whiteout last week. So get his thoughts on what that was like. He's also a huge Philly fan. Big Sixers fan, so we'll get his thoughts on what the hell is going on with Ben Simmons and the Sixers and Carson Wentz. Is he rooting for Carson Wentz to play well for the Colts to get that first-round pick, or is he happy so far that in the short time in Indianapolis, Carson Wentz has suffered multiple different leg injuries? We'll get Brian's thoughts again, hour 20 from now in Hickey's Spikes. We are coming to you live, as a reminder, from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios. now whether it's great pizza hot heroes, and phenomenal Darren's. Make sure you check out BakeItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. So I want to start this Thursday show previewing week number three for two teams specifically. Because I think we have a real dichotomy here in terms of what two specific teams should do with our quarterback decision. Now, in one sense, the same philosophy should be had. In another sense, how they go about achieving their goal for 2021, I think it's completely different. The two teams I'm focusing on and hinting at here, the Chicago Bears, the Miami Dolphins, both have quarterback injuries that I think they should approach differently. Because as we know, Andy Dalton suffered a bone bruise last week. He's out this week. Matt Nagy yesterday officially said Justin Fields will start in place of Andy Dalton. For the Dolphins... Their young quarterback, their future intuitungoa suffered fractured ribs last week. He is out this week, considered week to week with that fracture imagery. So for me, in terms of the same being on the same page here, I think both the Dolphins and the Bears should together forget about the playoffs this season. Right. Both uh, well, the Bears made the playoffs last year, the Dolphins just missed out. I think both teams were expecting playoff pushes this year. Both need to forget about the playoffs. This year, And instead focus on the big picture, which is getting their young quarterbacks ready. So for me, if I'm the Bears, that means rolling with Justin Fields the remainder of the season. No more Andy Dalton. That ship has sailed. It is Justin Fields' team now going forward week three and beyond. No flip-flopping once Andy Dalton is healthy. Justin Fields is your quarterback. We're for the Dolphins, right? We're advocating for one team to start their young quarterback. For the Dolphins, I think it's actually the opposite here. With Tua's injury, with the offensive line's porous play, to say the least, of the first two weeks, I think the Dolphins is a hold off playing Tua for a little bit. Rest him, even if he's healthy, to come back next week or in two weeks. I think it makes the most sense for the Miami to kind of put Tua on the shelf for a little bit until this offensive line can come together and play some good football. So let me explain both here, right? Because it's a little different, it's a little out there, but I think it's both very important philosophies. Let's start with Justin Fields and the Bears. Cause I will say this to give Matt Nagy some credit here, right? Because it's been a he is it's been an avalanche of criticism towards him for starting Andy Dalton over Justin Fields. The company line from Matt Nagy this entire offseason and even into the season, and his reasoning for starting Dalton has been look, Fields is not ready. When he's ready, we'll put him on the field. To give him credit Now, it's a tough situation, but when Justin Fields came in and replaced Andy Dalton for just over a half of football last week against the Bengals, Matt Nagy was kind of right. You watch Justin Fields in in that game, he's not a finished product. He needs time to develop. He needs time to work on some things. But the best way for me, or the best way in my mind for Justin Fields to do that is by playing. Not by working on it in practice, which is what Matt Nagy wants, but getting him out there in the game. And having him work on issues, work on his timing, work on development in regular season games. To me, that's the best way you develop a quarterback, which is why, you know what? If you're the Bears, if you're Matt Nagy, that's why I would put the playoffs on hold for 2021. Maybe Andy Dalton does give you the best shot to make the playoffs because he's the most consistent. He's not great. He's not awful. He is consistent. He'll give you, you kind of know what you'll get. We're fields with most rookie quarterbacks. There will be some good, some bad, some good, some bad. It's a roller coaster. We saw it in Justin Fields' I don't want to say debut because he played in week one, but his first real true exposure to the NFL where he played basically just over a full half. We went 6-13, threw for 60 yards, had an interception, also ran it 10 times for 31 yards. It was a rocky up and down game where, let's go for what it is, there's more bad than good. A lot of one read and go, right, a lot of Let me find my first target. He's covered. I'm going to tuck it, which is why Justin Fields had 10 rushes in just over half of football. He made some interesting decisions. Did throw an interception. So there was mostly, I'll say, more bad to eh than there was good to great. And that's kind of what it's going to be like as Justin Fields kind of gets his feet wet in the NFL and kind of works to figure out his issues here. So even though Andy Dalton, I think, gives you the more consistent option, he gives you the chance to go to the playoffs. This year, to me, you throw the playoffs out the window. You let uh, Justin Fields play on the field so that way you don't push your clock back. Right? You don't want to kind of delay the inevitable here, which is Justin Fields being the future. If he is the future, which he is, get him on the field, have him kind of earn his lumps now, and then by year two and year three, you can be a legitimate playoff contender. Instead of putting him on the bench when Andy told is healthy, which is what Matt Nagy is desperately trying to do. And then by year two, year three, hope that those practice reps kind of convert uh, to Justin Fields the way they did for Patrick Holmes, where he stepped on the field and threw 50 touchdowns in his first full season. But sweet, this also kind of highlights. The tough part here, the almost impossible situation, when you have a combination of the Bears do, which is a young rookie quarterback and a coach on the hot seat. Because for Matt Nagy, right, there's almost two different agendas here. For Matt Nagy, it's about making the playoffs. This year is about keeping his job. How does he do that? By making the playoffs or selling hope. He's trying to desperately make the playoffs with Andy Dalton, win as many games as possible, and then... Whether it's Justin Fields later on in the year or keeping him off the field the entire year and, and holding him off until next year, Matt Nagy is trying to buy himself into 2022 and beyond, which is why you would keep on hearing him harp and say this week that when healthy, Andy Dalton is our starting quarterback. Matt Nagy does not want to ride the roller coaster. He saw what happened in week number two in a full half of Justin Fields, where there are some good and there are some bad. He doesn't want to ride the roller coaster. Because you know, is that rookie roller coaster more times than not leads you to missing the playoffs than making the playoffs. That's why I'm telling you, the Bears as an organization, whether it's the ownership, whether it's the general manager Ryan Pace, they got to step in and say, "We're putting the playoffs on hold for 2021." The most important thing for Chicago going forward is developing Justin Fields. The only way you do that is by getting him on the field, having him get his feet wet having him earn his lumps, make some mistakes, learn from those mistakes, and have him kind of get polished and ready to go for year two, year three, and beyond. See, so pushing it off to 2022, having him stay on the bench outside of a few special plays and a few special packages that we kind of saw in week one only delays the inevitable and only pushes your timeline of contention back and not forward. That's why for me, it's imperative for the Bears going forward here have Justin Fields start the rest of the way and if that means a of the playoffs, so be it. So be it. Figure out and make sure he is ready to go now. Don't delay it any further. This is the opportunity you finally got with an Andy Dalton injury. It stinks for the timing, but it's necessary for the future of the organization. On the flip side, for the Dolphins, right? we're advocating for Justin Fields to play and play a ton. For the Dolphins, I'll be honest. I really do think they should sit Tua to tonga until this offensive line can play better because they have just been abysmal. Abysmal this season. And similar to the Bears, this is a big year for Tua. There's, there's been a lot of talks. There's been a lot of reports. There's been a lot of rumors already of interest in Deshaun Watson, of maybe moving on and getting another quarterback and kind of bailing on Tua already two years into his development. So you got to find out if you're mammy here. What do you have in Tua Tungava? The guy you tanked for two years ago in a tank for Tua campaign that ended up finishing number five and you still got him anyway. This year can Tua Tungavalowa show you glimpses that he could be your franchise guy? Doesn't just you know playing out of this world and play the best game of his career every single game. Can he show you glimpses? Can he give you hope that this is the guy moving forward to me? Forget playoffs, again, this is a 10-win team last year, and I picked them to make the playoffs this year. But they should put the playoffs on hold and make sure the number one priority is figuring out what kind of quarterback they have in Tua Tagovailoa. Now, the issue is, and the reason why I would sit him, I know it sounds counterintuitive to say, hey, you got to figure out what you got, so how do you figure it out? You put him on the field, and here I am telling you to sit Tua. Well, the reason why I'm telling you said Tua right now, not you know, all season long, but just in the short term, next few weeks, is because you can't find out what Tua is when he has no time to throw. I mean, watching that game, and I understand Tua was only in for two drives, so it was a very short sample size. My biggest takeaway from that week two Bill's blowout of the Dolphins was my God, this Dolphins offensive line didn't have a prayer, didn't have a chance. And this is against the Bills' defensive line. Like, no offense to them. But this isn't the Steelers' front four with T.J. Watt coming off the edge. This isn't Aaron Donald and the Rams' defensive line that is getting pressure on any single offensive line. This is an off, uh, This is a defensive line in, in Buffalo that's really struggled getting after the quarterback this year, did not have many upgrades coming into this year. Where it's, you know, they should have been able to handle, at least keep the, the Bills' defenders off to it. Uh, And for the two drives he played, that was anything but the case. There were six pass plays called for Tua Tungavailoa and just the two drives he was on the field. Four of them he got off. He was sacked twice, and one of the throws he made that was an incompletion ended up being the play where he fractured his ribs on fourth down and ended up leaving the game early and now is missing week number three. So it's hard to kind of show your talent and your skill if you catch the ball one step and boom, you're getting crushed. Boom, you're flushing in the pocket. Boom, you got to get it off because there's a defender in your face. The offensive line gave Tua Tungavailoa on Sunday zero, zero chance to succeed. So now that he has fractured ribs and he's already hurt, now that the old line has showed you they're basically, you know, a, a, a bigger entryway than a turnstile, you know what? Take it slow with Tua. Even if pain-wise, where it's really going to be a pain management going forward, if he can play next week, it feels good. If I'm Brian Flores, I'm sending him down for the next few weeks. I want this offensive line to figure it out. Because guess what? They're super young. They need time to gel. They need time to, to build continuity together. And I would let Jacoby Brissett, no offense to Jacoby, let him take the hits. Let him take the punishment. while this O-line figures it out And you hope two, three, four weeks, maybe a month from now, the O-line can get back on track and at least give whoever's behind center a chance. Give them a chance. Because when you look how young this this unit is, right? You're Robert Hunt, second year in the NFL. Michael Dieter, their center, third year in the NFL. Solomon Kinley, year number two. Austin, uh, Austin Jackson, year number two. Liam Eikenberg, rookie. Jesse Davis is the lone veteran on this offensive line. But everyone else I just mentioned, rookie, second, third year. This is an extremely young offensive line. So they're a work in progress. Hopefully, giving them a few weeks to jail and get on the same page can kind of get them up to speed to give whoever's back there a shot. I mean, even when Jacoby Brissett came in, it's not just a two problem. Jacoby was sacked four times. There was six sacks allowed last week to the Bills. Again, a defensive line that's not very good at getting after the quarterback. So if you're allowing six sacks to the Bills, I mean, my goodness. Patriots, Steelers, whoever you're playing is, you're just going to have a field day. So why let Tua run out there with already fractured ribs and then get flanned? I'm not doing that. I'm not risking Tua getting even more hurt than he already is and maybe costing yourselves, if you're the Dolphins, a year of evaluation because this O-line couldn't protect him. You need this offensive line to give Tua Tangavello a chance. So rather sit him for, let's say, a month, even if he's ready to play next week, and see eight to ten games of Tua under center with a legitimate shot to get throws off and run the offense rather than throw him out there next week or in two weeks. The O-line is still a work in progress and have him play, let's say, 14 games and still getting crushed, still getting flattened and kind of you're holding your breath anytime he gets hit because his O-line can't still block anyone. So even though to me this is a playoff team, and again, I predict in the playoffs, sitting two, I think only hurts the playoff heart, uh, playoff race, not helps them. The biggest priority for the Dolphins this season is finding out Tua Tagovailoa can he be our guy going forward? The best way to do that is by putting him behind an offensive line that, I, that I can actually block and give him a shot, which is why I would sit Tua for the next two, three, maybe even a month from now. Even if he's healthy and ready to play and wants to play, because you gotta have this offensive line figure it out, and I'd rather have Jacoby Brissett back there taking the licks, taking the lumps while this O line figures it out, rather than my franchise quarterback who already has fractured ribs and Tua Tagovailoa. That to me is the best for the future of the Dolphins, best for Tua Tagovailoa. So for the both the Bears and the Dolphins, young quarterbacks. This year has to be about figuring it out and getting them ready for the future. Both teams came in with playoff expectations. I think both teams need to throw out those playoff expectations and focus on getting their young quarterback ready for the future. For the, for the Bears, to me, that means playing Justin Fields the rest of the season. No more Andy Dalton. For the Dolphins, to me, that means sitting to a tongue a low until this offensive line can show you they can actually block somebody. They can actually win a one-on-one matchup. They can give the quarterback more than a half second of time to throw and process a defense. Until then, keep two out. To me, that is best for both teams now going forward. It's by focusing on their young quarterback instead of worrying about just making the playoffs. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Plenty of ways to get involved in the show. Whether it's Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Should Andy Dalton start another game for the Bears? Matt Nagy says so. He says whenever Andy Dalton is healthy, he is still our starting quarterback. Do you believe that? Should that be the case? If Andy Dalton can play in two or three weeks, should Andy Dalton start another game for the Bears, or should this be the Justin Field show going forward? On the flip side, for the Dolphins, I mean, you know kind of Tua talking about, whether it's fair or not, is injury prone. Do you hold Tua out? Do you sit him down? until this offensive line for Miami can actually block somebody. I'm curious your thoughts here. Again, Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Love to get your thoughts. We will read them on the air. When we do return in a few minutes here from break, but also when we do return from commercial break here, I want to focus on two more young quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wills. There has been some actions. There has been some questions. There has been some reports already about both of them. And I'll be honest, I have concerns about both young quarterbacks already. I'll tell you why that is when the Ryan Hickey Show does return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
0: It it, is the Worldwide Sports Radio Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the World Wide Sports Radio Network.
1: And welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show on the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Two young quarterbacks that I think Two teams should approach in very different ways. Justin Fields of the Bears, Tua Tungabailoa for the Dolphins. I'm a believer in both. I am big fans of both. I do think Tua can turn around and show you why he is a franchise quarterback. But I will say this: I will be completely honest here. I did a a monologue now, probably about two years ago, right here on the Worldwide Sports Network explaining why if I'm the Dolphins at pick number five, I would avoid drafting Tua Tungvaluwa. It sounded outlandish at the time. A lot of blowback, a lot of pushback from it. But I think it's starting to bear itself out now and has nothing to do with the quarterback itself and Tua. I'm a big fan of his. I think he's very talented and very good. And again, I picked the Dolphins to make the playoffs this year. I think he can have success and be the franchise quarterback in Miami that the Dolphins thought they were getting when they drafted him fifth overall two years ago. The reason, though, I made the case for why the Dolphins should avoid drafting him is because I was afraid they couldn't protect him. Right, This is a guy who has been injury-prone in college, fair or not. Ankle injuries, the hip injury, Tua has been banged up throughout his Alabama career. And just think and just remember, at Alabama, he was playing behind arguably the best offensive line in the country. He rarely was getting pressure. He rarely had guys in his face. He didn't have to worry too much about a pocket that was collapsing. He usually had time to throw, time to set his feet. And there are still instances where he was injured and still unfortunately got banged up in different ways and even had to miss a few games or leave a few games early. So when you look at the Dolphins' offensive line two years ago, they were a total mess. They were young. They were inexperienced. They weren't very good. They are basically overhauling the entire offensive line. And on top of drafting, Tua have invested a ton of draft capital in the O-line the past few years, we just mentioned before, all the, the players right now that are playing on the offense line for the Dolphins this year, Robert Hunt, Michael Dieter, Solomon Kinley, Austin Jackson, Liam Eikenberg, all three years in the NFL or less, they are young. Jesse Davis is the only veteran on this O-line that can bring any sort of experience to this team. So this is an offensive line that's still trying to work through it, still trying to figure it out. And unfortunately, Tua Valoa now this year, in week number two, has been hurt because of this, because of the lack of development, because of the lack of protection. And now with fractured ribs, he's going to be dealing with this the rest of the season. They don't just magically hear in a a week or two. The only way he's going to get back on the field is through pain tolerance. How much can he deal with? And that will determine when he's on the field. And this is not a two-week injury where they heal all of a sudden and he's back to normal. So part of the reason why two years ago, again, is because you have a bad offensive line behind Tua. I was afraid of this exact scenario happening. Where he's on the field and he can't stay healthy because the offensive line in front of him doesn't give him a chance to have time to throw the ball, to have time to make clean reads. They just have give him an opportunity to throw the ball without getting flattened. And we are starting to see that now more and more in year number two. This old line can't protect him, which is why I think it makes the most sense. Sit him down for two, three, four weeks. Let someone else, let Jacoby Brissett take the hits, take the growing pains that come with a young offensive line trying to figure it out. This is a big year for Tua. Whether it's Deshaun Watson, whether it's another quarterback that Dolphins are interested in, if they become impatient, They'll go somewhere else. I don't think that's the right move, personally. I like to. I think he's going to be a very good young quarterback. But if he has no time to throw the ball, there's no point in throwing, him out there, in throwing him out of there. So keep him on the bench. Let him heal up. And more importantly, let this offensive line develop and grow. So I texted one of my good friends. One of my good, good, good friends. Tyler Krolikowski. If he's still listening, shout out to, to Krol. My guy. Frontline worker, by the way. So I appreciate his help in saving America. But he's also a huge, huge Dolphins fan. He advocated for Tua two years ago. He got his guy. I just texted him before because he's a huge Dolphins fan, like I just mentioned, and he is concerned. So I texted him, what is the deal with this O-line? How concerned are you? He said, very, very, very concerned. A lot of draft capital that they invested in in this offensive line, and it's not good. And he just mentioned it. The biggest issue for him with this O-line is the youth. There's too many inexperienced guys on this O-line. But you know, when there's no veteran leadership to anchor down the unit, work through making the right calls and the right adjustments, the quarterback is the one taking the brunt of the hits. That is not, absolutely not the recipe for success going forward. If two is not on the field, you have no clue what he is. And either you delay, and you delay your evaluation because either he's unable to show you that he's a good quarterback and maybe move on too early. Or maybe, maybe, I'm not saying this is the case, but maybe he's not as good as we all think. Maybe he is more of a bust than he is a franchise quarterback. But because he's hurt this year, because maybe the offensive line can't give him time, and in, this is drags into the next year two years from now, the Dolphins push their timeline back because they can't figure out the quarterback, in part because he doesn't have time and the opportunity to give them an answer whether he's truly good or truly bad. This is why I would sit to a tongue tonga Iloa. With fractured ribs until the offensive line can figure it out. It's not a tool problem. It's an O-line problem. Don't feed them to the wolves if you don't have to. That's my thought. So I'm curious yours. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well is where you can tweet us, is where you can comment on the live stream that's on both of those Twitter's, uh, Twitter handles I just mentioned. Should the Bears bench Justin Fields at some point? Should Andy Dalton start another game for the Bears? Tua Tongaalo, what do the Dolphins do? Do you play him when he's healthy? If he can come back next week, do you play him, or do you sit him down until this O line can figure it out? I'm sitting him down. So love to get thoughts, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on Twitter, we'll read them on the air here. But I also want to dive, excuse me, dive into two other young quarterbacks that haven't had their careers going off to the right starts. I don't think this is hyperbole, and I don't think I'm being an alarmist here when I say I'm already concerned about the success for both Zach Wilson with the Jets and Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. Now, let me, before I dive into my reason, put this disclaimer out there. The two reasons I have for why I'm concerned have nothing, zero, to do with their talent and their skill. This is not even really about Zach Wilson, the specific quarterback, and Trevor Lawrence, the specific quarterback. My concerns for their success have more to do with their surroundings. The two reasons why I'm concerned that they might not have success that we think because they're on a bad team and there's zero patience in society. I'm sorry about the bad team because as we just mentioned before, it's not been the greatest start for the number one and number two overall pick with their respective teams. Combined, Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence are 0-4 so far the season. Trevor Lawrence has thrown four touchdowns to five interceptions. Zach Wilson, just two touchdowns, five interceptions. And also, he's been sacked. You're ready for this. We're talking about Tua and his O-line problems. Whew, man. Tua is probably grateful for the O-line he has right now. And I tell you that Zach Wilson has been sacked ten times. Ten times already to the first two games of the season. So when you look at what's surrounding Zach Wilson with the Jets and what's surrounding Trevor Lawrence with the Jaguars, neither of these teams... Give their quarterback much of a chance to succeed. Their own lines are horrendous, right? Both are running for their lives. Both don't have a ton of time to make uh, make reads, have a clean pocket to throw from. So already they're behind the eight ball because they catch a snap. Especially if you're Zach Wilson, you're catching the snap and running to your left, running to your right, or throwing the ball right away because there's always pressure in your face. Again, ten sacks in two games. He's in trouble. He's going to get the crap beat out of him in part because the O-line in front of him can't do their job. And for the Jets, you lose Makai Becton, who, look, came into training camp overweight, was apparently struggling to kind of learn the new scheme with Michael Thor's, the new offense coordinator under Robert Sala. And now you lose from last year, best offense lineman in Makai Becton for it seems like possibly half the year. This is a total recipe for disaster for Zach Wilson no time to throw, and the Jackson office line is much better. It's pretty brutal. So the old line, they don't give either quarterback really a chance to succeed, really a chance to read defenses, go through their progressions, and just have time to throw. When they do have time to throw, there's not much skill, talent around them. I like Elijah Moore, the receiver for the Jets that they drafted in the second round this year. He's really good at all Miss. He's a solid receiver. Outside of him, the running game and really leaves not much to be desired. Partly because the running backs are still young and not great. Tevin Coleman doesn't really do much. Michael Carter, so far, has, has run decently well. But part of the issue is with the old line we talked about no time to throw the ball for these running, uh, for these quarterbacks. No holes for the running backs to run through either. James Robinson, 1,000 yard rusher, has not really been used the right way so far. Two weeks in Jacksonville. Travis Etienne, as we know, fortunately out for the year, ready with a preseason injury. Jack- Jacksonville is okay. Some receivers, you know, DJ Chark is a solid receiver. Nothing Zach Wilson has is anywhere close to the talent DJ Chark has. Denzel Mims, supposed to be one of the big-time receivers for the Jets drafted last year, isn't even active on game days anymore. Like, there's not a lot of skill for Zach Wilson to throw the ball to or Trevor Lawrence to throw the ball to. Unfortunately, because the rest of the team isn't very good, these guys have been in early deficits and have been trailing for most of their careers, which what does that mean? When you're trailing, you're throwing the ball a lot more than normal. There's really not a lot of balance to this offense, which means you are throwing, 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 and putting even more on the plate of your young rookie quarterback. Just two games, small sample size, I get it. But so far, Trevor Lawrence is tied for sixth in most pass attempts in the season. Zach Wilson, not that much further behind. He's tied for 13th, 70 passes for Zach Wilson, which is more than Patrick Mahomes, which is more than Russell Wilson. These guys are slinging it and slinging it often. So now what that means is with a bad line in front of them, non-existent run game, not great skill town to throw the ball to, early deficit, so you're throwing it early and often, you're asking your rookie quarterback to play hero, to play hero ball, be the savior, to lift a bad team up and be the reason you win. And when you're on an awful team and a young quarterback, it is next to impossible to do that. The last guy at the top of my head that I can truly think of taking a bad team and basically dragging them to the finish line is Andrew Luck. And what is Andrew Luck when he came out? A one-in-a-million college prospect, right? Best college prospect since John Elway or Peyton Manning. The point is, guys like Andrew Luck don't come around every so often. So it's special when he's able to take a Colts team that was 2-14 and 14 and turn them around to 11-5 and, and make the playoffs in his rookie year. But it's not the standard. It's not the rule. It's the exception. It almost never works out when you have a bad team and you bring in a young quarterback and tell them, hey, be the reason why we win. We stink. We don't have a very good team. But you just go make plays and be the reason why we win. That, I'm sorry, is not a winning strategy. For the Jets, we just saw Sam Darnold. They tried that for three years. Especially the last two with Adam Gase where the skill talent was not very good, the coaching was horrendous, and basically it was the Sam Darnold show, go make a play, go figure out. He couldn't do it. And now we see in two games in Carolina, he's played okay, but I would say he's played a lot better and a lot consistently than he has at really any point in his Jets career. He looks more confident. He's been more consistent, in part because there is an infrastructure there for him that allows him to develop to succeed where it's not all on his shoulders. So, it's so rare for a young quarterback to rise above a bad organization. So, when you look at Zach Wilson going number two and Trevor Lawrence going number one to two bad teams, it does have me worried about their future success when the goal of the organization, the only chance they have for them to succeed right now in the near future, is by asking them to play hero. Asking them, begging them to be the reason why they win. That is a recipe disaster. Now that's bad enough. Being on a bad team that doesn't really give you much of a shot here to win. But being on a bad team with zero patience from the fan base and from the media and from uh, fans is impossible. That is code red. That's a five alarm fire. That is not going to work out. You talk about worst case scenario. Bad team Zero patience. That's how you ruin a young talent, no matter who it is. Even a guy like Trevor Lawrence, who was supposed to be the next quarterback prospect, the best and most polished quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. Look, let's call for what it is. We are a very impatient society, right? Impatient. I think I said impatient. Inpatient society. We want instant gratification. We want feedback and reaction now. Right now, I don't want you to, to listen to the show tomorrow and react. I want you to listen to the show and react right now to what I'm saying. For whether it's being online with a traffic, trust me, I am guilty of just as much as you are. We are don't have much patience. We want things and we want them now as fast as possible. Well, the issue is, or or the the problem is here that could work in some instances, right? Being not being patient, being aggressive, does work in certain circumstances that get your results. Right away, that yields quick results, but that's yo know, a good thing. It's not a very good thing though when it comes to quarterbacks, young quarterbacks especially. They need patience, intolerance, impatience is detrimental when it comes to rookie quarterbacks, because as we know, the one thing we do know, and because the the, the quarterback process is anything but linear, it's anything but solved, or else every team would have a great quarterback. It's, it's so hard. There's no one way to get a franchise guy. Part of what we need to realize and remember is that every quarterback develops at their own pace. Not everyone can be like Patrick Holmes, who comes in in year number two, but his first full year of playing and throws 50 touchdowns. Let's just look at some of the great quarterbacks in the game right now. right? Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. I'll even throw Josh Allen in that situation. Someone I'm not that high on, but you know what? There's a lot of people that like Josh Allen and say he's a great elite quarterback. We'll throw him in here and use him as an example. Wilson, Rogers, Brady, Allen. What do those four quarterbacks have in common? Not hitting the ground running right away and having career years. Taking time to develop. I mean, Tom Brady was a game manager for the first, what, how many years of his career? He won Super Bowl sure, but is he the reason? No. They had a great defense, a solid run game. There's a lot around Tom Brady that helped him out. Josh Allen. First two years was wildly inconsistent. Year number three, he settled down, had a career year, led the Bills to the AFC title game. Russell Wilson, his first few years in Seattle, they told him, don't lose us the game. That's it. Don't lose us the game. Don't fumble the snap. Hand it off to Marshawn Lynch. Let the Legion of Boom defense do their thing. Just don't throw interceptions. Don't fumble the football. We don't want you making plays. We just don't want you losing us the game. These quarterbacks developed at different paces at different times and got into their primes, got into their elite status at different points in their career. There's no one route for finding and developing a young franchise quarterback. They all develop at their own pace because all are different. So part of the reason and part of the issue is why there's impatience with young quarterbacks is because as we know, the race now is on for these teams to try to win a Super Bowl while the quarterback is still cheap. Right? The quarterback salaries are going through the roof. They take up such a large percentage of the salary cap that teams are racing to win Super Bowls while the quarterback is still in the rookie deal. Well, that leads to teams making snap decisions. Year one, year two, is he a guy or not? We're seeing with the two talking about. Love. We just talked about it. In year number two, which I think is asinine, but year number two, and the where he started half the season, that's it, in year number one, this is a make-or-break year for Tua. The Dolphins could see what they want, see what they have, and make a decision to either get rid of him and go for someone else next year. After they spent almost two years tanking for Tua, it could be two years and moving on. The quarterback decision process has gotten faster, and I think it hurts more young quarterbacks than helps them. It's a detriment. So now when you have fans booing Zach Wilson in his first home game for throwing four interceptions, when there is all of a sudden now questions through the media, through real, legitimate, not just Twitter bots, but actual media on podcasts and articles, kind of questioning, is Trevor Lawrence truly as good as we are? It's two games. It's two games, and these guys are on bad teams. But the issue is, is society is so impatient that we need answers now we need Zach Wilson to be a superstar in two weeks, or we're we're gonna have questions. We need Trevor Lawrence to look like a Hall of Fame quarterback in two weeks, or maybe we'll think of redrafting a quarterback next year. Ah, maybe Trevor Lawrence is not as good as we thought. That's so stupid. I hope it sounds ridiculous when it comes out of my mouth here, because it is. Give Zach Wilson time. Give Trevor Lawrence time. Let them figure it out. My God, or realize why they're struggling. A lot of it's not on them. Sure, does Zach Wilson make some bad throws and bad decisions? Yeah, absolutely he did. Did Trevor Lawrence make every great throw in two weeks? No, he did not. And part of the reason is they're on god-awful teams. They need to take chances because that's the only way this offense is going to score points. Sam Darnold, part of the reason why he's averaged almost 300 passing yards per game in the first two games of his Panthers career, is because a lot of those throws, let's call for what it is, are dump-downs to Christian McCaffrey. Where's the Christian McCaffrey on the Jets? Where's the Christian McCaffrey on the Jaguars? It's not there. There's no player on either team for the quarterback to just dump it off to and say, hey, you go make a play. It's all on the quarterback to make a play. That leads to more mistakes than it does results in a positive way. Let them have some damn time. The impatience in society, I'm telling you, it's a detriment to young quarterbacks, and we already have seen it two weeks in with Zach Wilson and with Trevor Lawrence. It's honestly frustrating. I want these two to succeed. But the fact that already there's impatience has me questioning. I don't know if Zach Wilson will ever even have the opportunity to have success in New York because he might get run out the door. Trevor Lawrence, the national media might write him off already before he even has a true chance to understand what's going on around him and has some true talent to block for him, to hand the ball off, and to throw the ball to. It's asinine. And this cycle that we see through bad teams is part of the reason why good teams constantly stay good. Sam Darnold, I think, could, could develop into a very good quarterback. Panthers got him for a steal in two-second round picks then. If Sam Darnold, or, or if Zach Wilson becomes the next Sam Darnold, if Trevor Lawrence has given up on in three years, whoever trades for him is getting a damn good quarterback. And they, I'm sure, will have the infrastructure to have them succeed more than the Jets could or more than the Jaguars could. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Combination of a bad team, zero patience. It's a death wish. I'm sorry, it's a death wish for rookie quarterbacks. We'll see more good quarterbacks giving up on early than guys playing hero ball right away and being more like Andrew Luck. Stupid. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Speaking of giving up on, when we return here on the Ryan Hickey Show, the Sixers have apparently given up on Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons has reportedly given up on the Sixers. But for the Sixers to win a title, do they need Ben Simmons to play for them this year? My answer is yes. I'll explain why that is when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Network.
0: It is it, the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to The Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I got this
1: feeling on the day when you were gone. Hickey's pickies in a half hour from now with Ryan Tripp. Very excited for that. But before that, a lot of drama in the NBA and a lot of drama in Philadelphia. Now, this has really been kind of festering all offseason long. And reportedly, first it seemed like the Sixers. We're kind of done with Ben Simmons, wanted them gone, we're going to trade him. Now, as training camps get closer and closer, no trade has been made, Adrian Wojnarowski reporting that Ben Simmons will not report to the Sixers this training camp. Basically, will never play for them again. That has led now to Sixers head coach, Jack Rivers, to basically beg Ben Simmons to go back. In case you missed it, I want to play this for you because I think it's very interesting, and I think it's telling. When you had Doc Rivers on first take on ESPN yesterday, basically begging about wanting Ben Simmons back. Here's what Doc Rivers had to say.
0: It was a good conversation. um, And he he gave his reasons, which we obviously didn't agree with. Um, But, you know, Stephen, I I think in sports, and you've been around it a lot, um, there's been so many times this has happened that hasn't been reported. And the guy comes back. So, Listen, we're going to go through it. Um, we're going to always do what's best for the team. Uh, but I can tell you up front, we would love to get Ben back. And if we can, we're going to try to do that. You know, Ben has a long contract. So, it's, it's no, it's in our hands, and, and we want him back.
1: Doc Rivers telling you, we want Ben Simmons back. I know there's a lot of trolling yesterday on social media and kind of making fun of, of Doc Rivers. I believe him. I truly do think Doc Rivers is telling the truth that he wants Ben Simmons back this season because Doc Rivers knows what I know. Ben Simmons is the most important player for the Sixers to winning a championship this season. He's single-handedly more than Joel Embiid, more than Tobias Harris, more than Doc Rivers, the coach himself. Ben Simmons will single-handedly decide the fate of the Sixers' season this year. Here's why. If the Sixers want to win a title, right? if they want to win a championship, which is the goal, the best way, the only way to do so is by getting a superstar next to Joel Embiid. Well, they don't have one right now on their roster. Ben Simmons is not the guy. He's not the number two you need to to pair with Joel Embiid to win a championship. We've seen that combo now run it back for a few postseasons, come up short every single time. Well, the only way Philly is getting a superstar in Philly this year, next to Joel Embiid to try to win a championship, is by trading Ben Simmons. By swinging a massive trade that centers around the young point guard that still is talented, but doesn't want to shoot. That's the only way. And right now, is what we've seen, there's not many teams interested in trading for Ben Simmons, and the ones that are, the packages that come back to Philly, are not good enough, don't elevate the Sixers enough, to get them to excuse me, championship level that they want. So the reason why Ben Simmons is so important and the reason why I believe Doc Rivers is that and when he says that he wants Ben Simmons back is because the best thing for Philly is getting Ben Simmons back on the court in a Sixers jersey to start the season. They need him back because they need to elevate his trade stock. Right now, his trade value is as low as it could possibly be. uh, Ben Simmons doesn't really have much trade value, which is part of the reason why you have trade packages that involve Damian Lillard and Andrew Wiggins and D'Angelo Russell. Like, no offense to those, those players. There's not... Those players, McCollum, Wiggins, Russell, they're not coming to Philly and elevating this team to a championship level. They're not. So the best way you get a higher return... The best way you try to lure a superstar to Philly is by trying to show teams that, hey, Ben is not as bad as you just saw. Game seven, the postseason, there was a lot of dragging on Ben Simmons. Look, look what he's doing the regular season. He's better than what you saw, Entice us to give us a better player in return. That's the only way Philly is getting a, a superstar on the team this year Because, look, a Damian Lillard trade, let's call it for what is, not happening. That, to me, would have happened already. Damian Lillard is going to give, at least this year, one more go in Portland. We'll see what his future is. But maybe, maybe for Philly, you can try to convince any team. Just one. All it takes is one to give up a young talent and convince them Ben Simmons is the guy that you want. Because look, the lasting image we have of Ben Simmons in Philly is what game number seven against the Hawks, when he passes up a dunk over Trey uh, Young, and passes because he's afraid to shoot, afraid to go to the foul line. His free throw shooting all postseason was horrendous. He was extremely passive on the offensive end. As we know, it was a big—I don't want to say hate fest—but there was a ton of criticism for Ben Simmons. He was the most polarizing player in all the NBA last postseason. Well, his postseason play and his regular season play are two two different things. Postseason Ben stinks. Let's call it for it. He's not very good. Really is a detriment to the team. Regular season Ben, though, is pretty good. Three-time All-Star, two-time All-Defensive NBA, one-time All-NBA team. Getting Ben Simmons back into Philly, back into his Sixers jersey for the first month, two months of the season, you got to kind of remind everyone how good Ben Simmons is. Maybe that's enough. Seeing a month or two of Ben Simmons maybe getting back to his old ways of playing well on defensive end, de- uh, dishing out passes, kind of hurting teams in transition. Maybe that's enough for Sacramento to be like, you know what? Yeah, De'Aaron Fox, we'll part ways with him. We want Ben Simmons. Maybe that's enough for Washington. If Bradley Beal maybe wants out, or the Wizards like, ah, Bradley Beal's getting older. We want to kind of reset the franchise here. Let's do so. The young player, Ben Simmons, is the guy. You know what? He's shown us enough. Let's make the trade. Bradley Beale, go to Philly. See, that's the only way a superstar this year is coming to Philly. And the reason why there's a sense of urgency is because, as we know, Joel Embiid is not getting any younger. He's a guy who's had plenty of injury problems in the past. Just this past postseason, even though he's out on the court for most of the postseason, was dealing with a meniscus injury that really wore him down in that Hawks series a longer win. So that's why I think it's smart for the Sixers to want Ben Simmons back. They need, forget want, they need Ben Simmons back this year. That's why he's the most important player for Philly. You trade him now, you're not getting anything in return that is worthy of getting yourself to a championship level. Because if that was out there, the trade would have been made already. We all know, no one is naive here. We all know Philly was trying to, one way or another, trade Ben Simmons. The reports were out there. There was no way I thought in my mind a Ben Simmons and Sixers reunion was going to happen this upcoming season. I thought he'd be traded. Well, for Philly, smartly, they're not going to trade Ben Simmons for $0.60 on the dollar. This is their best trade asset. This is kind of the chip they can cash in. To get the best player possible to put next to Embiid and give them the best shot at winning a title, at taking down the Bucs, at taking down the Nets. You see the talent of those two teams. You see the talent of the Sixers right now. They're good. They don't have that number two that Philly desperately needs, that Milwaukee has, that the Nets have. So, a trade to me would have happened if the right trade is already out there. There's a reason why Ben Simmons is still on the team, because the right trade has not been out there. So, I don't know what's changing between now and training camp. Where all of a sudden, if a team was not ready to include a superstar, then all of a sudden, now they will. There's nothing that's going to change. The only thing that's going to change is by getting Ben Simmons back on the court and trying to erase the stink that was last postseason. I get teams don't have short memories, and I get that that lasting image will still be there. But if you can convince teams that regular season Ben Simmons is still a really good gamble on, and you could kind of fix Ben Simmons in the postseason, Maybe a good month or two of Ben Simmons playing in Philly, playing nice, playing well, is enough to convince a team to send one of their superstars to Philly to pair with Joel Embiid. If not, I don't see how this teams get any better. I don't see this team a title contender in 2021. They're not. Ben Simmons, I'm telling you, that's why he's the most important player in Philly this year. He is single-handedly having the biggest impact of whether this team wins a title or not. Because if he plays well and you trade him, You can get the most return possible and get yourself a true number two that can give yourself a legitimate shot to win a title. Or if not, you can't find a trade partner or eventually Darryl Moore just gives up and trades him for CJ McCollum or Andrew Wiggins. No offense to those players, but you're not winning a title with those two players as kind of your number two or your one A to Joel Embiid's one. And they just give up and trade Ben Simmons for whatever they can get. Well, then you're just screwing yourself going forward. And you're hurting yourself going forward. So ironically, right, last year or last postseason, you make the argument that Ben Simmons was the main reason why the Sixers were bounced by the Hawks in round number two. If he doesn't play for them again, if he truly does sit out, and it is true to what Adrian Wojnarowski is reporting, that he is dead set on sitting out and never playing for this organization again, well, he's also going to be then the reason that the Sixers don't win a championship this season. They need him on the court. They need to elevate his stock. only way to do that is by getting him and having him play. That's it. So I believe Doc Rivers. When he says he wants him back, because Doc knows right now his trade value is garbage. Awful. The only way to raise it is by getting him back on the court and having him play well. So I'm curious, your thoughts. Do the Sixers need Ben Simmons to come back? Should they beg him to suit up again? Or at this point, just say, forget it. Trade him for whatever you can get. CJ McCollum and Robert Covington. Or Andrew Wiggins with the Golden State Warriors. Or D'Angelo Russell. Trade him to Minnesota. I'm curious. What should the Sixers do here with Ben Simmons? Love to hear your thoughts, whether it's Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. What the hell do you do with Ben Simmons? If I'm Philly, I play him. I try my best to mend those fences, get them back on the court, and for a month or two try to elevate his draft stock before then shipping them out to wherever you can get the best return possible, get you closer to a title. That's my plan action. love to hear yours. Facebook Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter. WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. When we do return on the Ryan Hickey Show here for hour number two, five teams, I think we are trying to figure out their identities. Five teams: the Steelers, Saints, Dolphins, Chargers, Eagles. Solid week one wins. Disappointing week number two losses. Who are they? Are they actually as good as they played in week number two? Uh, week number one. Are they as bad as they showed in week number two? We try to figure out the identities of those five teams. Who they truly are this season when the Ryan Key Show does return on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
0: It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
1: Who are you? We are trying to figure out the identities of five teams in the NFL. Flashed and impressed in week number one. Solid wins for all five of these teams. Then came back in week number two and struggled. Had some interesting losses, some eye-opening losses. So for the Steelers, for the Dolphins, for the Saints, for the Chargers, for the Eagles, who are they? Who are they? We will try to figure out their identities right here on the Ryan Hickey Show of who they truly are going forward. Is they as good as they showed in week number one, or are they as bad as they kind of played in week number two? I have answers for all five teams. Let's go for it. Let's get into it. The Steelers. So The Steelers are truly who they've shown the first two weeks, which is really good defense for the most part, really bad offense. When you look offensively, right, we kind of talked about this Plenty of times in the offseason about how I thought the 2020 offense would bleed into 2021. So far through two weeks, that has exactly been the case. That's not a good thing. The last month, six weeks of the Steelers offense of 2020 was abysmal. You did not want that to drag into 2021, but it has. Because guess what? The offensive line, although the faces are different, although the names in the back of the jerseys are different, the talent's still the same. They stink. Yeah, you could switch out some names, but if you don't upgrade the talent, nothing's going to change. That's what the Steelers did. Change the faces, the talent's at the same, they still stink. Which means, guess what? You can't run the ball because there's no open running lanes. You can't throw the ball because Big Ben doesn't have time to throw. When you look right now, Big Ben, 2021 through two games, he is 25th of all NFL quarterbacks. There's 32. He's 25th in yards per pass attempt at 6.7. Last year, 2020, he had the fifth lowest yards per pass attempt at 6.3. So basically, 2020, where it was what? A lot of underneath passes, a lot of screens, a lot of checkdowns, a lot of quick throws. That carried over into 2021 where Big Ben, again, is not pushing the ball really down the field ever. doesn't have the time to do doesn't have the arm strength to. And that has led to a lot of predictable passes. The run game, non-existent. Right. 2020, why, why was part of the reason why the offense couldn't really move the ball in the second half of the season? Well, it's because they were predictable. They were one-dimensional. They couldn't run, so they had to pass. And they passed a ton, and the defense knew they were passing. And the offensive line couldn't block, so they only could really throw one pass play. Intermediate to underneath to bubble screens. That's it. 10 yards, 15 yards, and, and in. So a big Ben in one of the lowest uh, yards per attempt. And that's why this year, Part of the reason for that is because there's no run game. Dead last in 2020 in rushing yards per game, 84.4. This year, 2021, dead last in rushing yards per game, 57 rushing yards per game. And that's not Najee Harris's fault. It's not because he's a bad running back. It's because there's nowhere for him to go. This team has bled in from 2020 to 2021. They're a bad team the last six weeks of 2020. They're a bad team in 2021. Eight and nine. Under five hundred for the first time since, I believe, 2003. This team is not a very good football team. That is their identity, 8 and 9. For the Saints, I think it's a mixed bag. I think there was, I would combine the two. Week number one, blowout of the Saints, uh, of the Packers. Week number two, I don't say blowout, but handling by the Carolina Panthers of the Saints. I think it's. A combination, but I will say I think the Saints in the end will be closer to the Week One team we saw than the Week Number Two. It's going to be a roller coaster, right? Jameis Winston, don't get fooled. This guy is still Jameis Winston at heart, a guy that some games will light it up, other games make decisions where you want to rip hair out of your own head. Week Number One, right? Five touchdowns, zero turnovers. Week Number Two, zero touchdowns, just 111 passing yards, two interceptions. He's a guy that will light it up, really stink it up. Light it up, really stink it up. Now, to, in fairness to James, I think this. I think he'll be more good than bad. I think now, while well, he wasn't tearing up, he threw for only 140 passing yards week number one. The five touchdowns really are guarding jump out at you. But the passing yards, it wasn't like he, exactly he was carving up that Packers secondary. I do think that he'll be closer to week number one where he's being careful with the ball, making the smart decision, and keeping the offense going. So I think we'll see more good Jameis than bad Jameis. To defend Winston for just a second, when you look at the offense he's thrown to, the receivers stink. Like There's not really a good receiver for him to rely on to be a true number one. Marcus Cowboy, no offense to him, he's your number one receiver. He's not even very good. He's not even really been around, honestly, the first two weeks. He was a great preseason darling. Disappeared so far through for the first two weeks of the season. When you look at it, Michael Thomas, right? A bona fide number one receiver on IR. Traquan Smith, a really damn good receiver for the Saints, also on IR. Two of your best receivers not on the shelf or on the shelf not playing. It hurts you. It makes your job as a quarterback a little bit harder. But I do think, again, this team will resemble more week one than they do week two. It's going to be a roller coaster. You're going to see a combination of both of these weeks so far play throughout the season. I think there's going to be more good than bad. I think this is a playoff team in the end with Jameis Winston as quarterback because I think he won't do too much more times than not. Keep it simple. Don't try to be the hero. Just keep the offense going. That's what Sean Payton will emphasize throughout the rest of the season. I think that was what we'll see more times than not. So for the Saints, I truly think they're more of a week one team than a week two team. To me, their identity is still a playoff team. For the Dolphins, this is tricky because I do think their identity is still a playoff team. Now, the Tua injury does throw a wrench into this and does make it kind of tougher to evaluate because we don't really know how long he's going to be out for. Right? I just advocated before we start the show. If I'm Brian Flores, I keep Tua Tungavella, even if he's ready to play next week, out until this offensive line can figure it out and can block for him. But I will say if he does return sooner than later, this team is definitely, to me, a playoff team. Look at the defense. They continue to get turnovers. Their secondary is really, really good. And Tua, through the first game and two drives he's been on the field, he, to me, has looked a lot better. He looks more confident. He's making the right throws. He has moved the offense and is is kind of throwing the ball deeper than he was last year, really, at any point during the season. But durability is going to be the biggest question. And part of the durability is not just Tua, but it's the offensive line blocking for him to give him a chance to set his feet and to give him a chance to make the reads and make the right throws. So while I do think this Dolphins team is still a playoff team, and I think still closer to week number one where they're a gritty, grinded out, tough team that wins these tough games rather than the team that we saw just get blown out by the Bills in week number two, two is health and the offensive line's play really are the two factors that I think are going to determine this season. you get two back relatively soon, and this offensive line can turn their play around relatively soon, like ASAP, yeah, this team, this team to me is still a playoff team. I think that's what's going to happen. But the longer Tua is out, the longer this offense line struggles, whew, this team is not going to be a playoff team. That is for sure. I think that week two is just a bad break. A lot of bad breaks. I think they'll bounce back. Again, playoff team, if Tua, if this offense line can figure it out relatively quickly. The Eagles, for me, I think week two is truly who they are. Like I think, they'll, to give them credit, I think they'll be more competitive than I expected. But I don't think they're as good as that week one drubbing are the Falcons? Because I think the Falcons are going to be really, really bad, especially offense. uh, especially excuse me, defensively. So for Jalen Hurts to me, this is a guy that's going to need to develop as a passer. We kind of saw that week number two. He still needs time. He still needs a lot of growth in the area, especially throwing the ball. He's a guy that a ton of times in college, even at Oklahoma, when the offense was humming a little more dynamic than it was at Alabama, he's still one of those guys that's a one read and go. Let me look at my primary receiver. He's covered. Okay, I'm going to tuck it and run. Can't win that way in the NFL. So when you look at week number two, when he played, look, a good, a really good defense, right? But the, to be fair, the 49ers, the weakness in their defense is their secondary. we just 12-23 for 190 yards. Hurts leads to develop his passing game, which I think is why for the Eagles, I think we'll see more of week two performances going forward than we will week number one. Interesting to see how Nick Sirianni does. Uh, in year one as head coach, but I think you know some of his decision making, a questionable decision making week number two will be a trend going forward here. So to me, the, the Eagles will be a more competitive team than I personally expected. Maybe coming into year number one of Siri and year number two of Nick uh, Nick of Jalen Hurts. Well, I do not think this is a playoff caliber team that maybe some people thought in week number one. This to me is more of a week two team going forward, competitive, but in the end going to come up short in a lot of these games. Finally, the Chargers. They're a combination of week number one and number two. I think they're a good team. I just think they're one year away from being a playoff team. Like, Justin Herbert totally is a baller, right? He is no doubt about it at this point. Really strong arm, made some incredible throws. He's also is a little still iffy with his decision-making. Still can kind of clean it up. Defense can make plays. Can they say uh, healthy? That's always a big question for him. I think the talent is there. I just don't think they're ready yet to make that playoff jump for one more year. I mean this is a team where they had a nice win on the road at the Washington football team, week number two at home. A close game against the Cowboys. Could have gone the other way. The Cowboys made just one or two more plays to win that game. I think this team is close. I think they're definitely a fringe number seven, you know, wild card, final wild card team. I think in the end they're they're gonna come up short. that's to me the identity of the Chargers. Good team, just short of a playoff team. Eagles, I think they are more of week number two we saw week number one competitive, but not really anywhere close to a playoff caliber team. The Dolphins to me are still a playoff team, but it all is contingent on Tua's health and the offensive line blocking for Tua. I think the Steelers are truly who we saw, not a very good team. Great defensively, they'll keep them in some games, but offensively just putrid, eight and nine. And to me, the Saints, we'll see more week one from the Saints than week number two. James Winston, keep it simple. Which to me, that means this team is still a playoff team. Love your thoughts. Who is good out of those five teams? Who are frauds? We're trying to figure out the identities of the Eagles, the Chargers, the Dolphins, the Saints, and the Steelers. Who are the identities of those teams? You tell me. Facebook, Worldwide Sports radio Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. At Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We'll get your thoughts. And when we do return, it is a Thursday in the NFL season. Hickeys, pickies time with a Phillies with a Philly fanatic Sixers fan Eagles fan and of course a Penn Seder who is at the whiteout on the field reporting on the sideline we'll get his thoughts and also get some winners here for you it is Brian Tripp joining Hickey's Pickies when the Ryan Hickey Show does return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
0: It is it, the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to The Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
1: Technical difficulties be damned. We are back here on The Ryan Hickey Show on a Thursday, which means it is time for Hickey's Pickies. Always a fun time for me personally and hopefully the contestants have some fun as well not to brag so far but this season's off to a better start than last year at 500 six and six despite going just one and four last year but thank you to Fresno State big upset special outright victory saving week number two for yours truly I am very excited for our week number three contestant a man who honestly is perfect to hit on everything going on right now because he is the voice of Penn State hockey that is returning very soon. He is the excellent sideline reporter for Penn State football on their radio broadcast. Who was on the field during that raucous, crazy, exciting whiteout game we just saw on Saturday in Happy Valley. And he is a big-time Philly fan. Sixers. Phillies in the middle of a, a, a playoff hunt. And the Eagles. A Carson Wentz hater. We'll get his thoughts. It is Brian Tripp. Tripp, what's up, man? I appreciate you coming on the show.
2: Oh, thanks for having me on, Hickey, and I think last year I went 3-1 and one on Hickey's Pickies, so I'm ready to get to 4-0 and this year, or whatever the new standings policy may be.
1: One person in the history of Hickey's Pickies has gone 5-0. and Are you ready to surpass that and make history, and join in a very exclusive and elite club?
2: Well... I don't want to embarrass your girlfriend. I'd rather her stay at the top of the standings.
1: Well, it's a new year. She that was that was that was old. That was last year. She went three (laughs) and two this year. So she she all she lost a touch so far. Uh, So maybe you can uh, you know take her spot this year and be the one person that that goes five and out. So so far through two weeks, both celebrity guest pickers, we'll call it, are three and two. So both over five hundred so far. So if that's the bar to clear, that's what you got to do. At least get three out of five right. I was born ready for this. I'm All right. Ready to roll. He's ready to roll. Two college games, three NFL games, plus an upset special. Let's get rolling here. Neutral psych game. Well, actually, both of these college football games are neutral psych games. We'll start with a good one in the Midwest, Notre Dame and Wisconsin. The 12th ranked Fighting Irish, number 18, Wisconsin Badgers. At Soldier Field in Chicago, Notre Dame, despite being the higher ranked team have really kind of skirted along so far, avoided danger the first three weeks. They are five and a half point underdogs in
2: taking on Wisconsin. Now, Tripp, where are you thinking here? Well, Wisconsin's not going to score a ton of points, but I'd like them to, first of all, you know what? Just give me Wisconsin outright. I wow! Think Wisconsin wins the game. I, I know I told you last night that I think Wisconsin covers for sure, but I'm going to take them outright to win the game. No one knows Notre Dame's quarterback more than the badgers and notre dame surprisingly has struggled defensively this year that's usually a hallmark for them under brian kelly so i like wisconsin straight out to win this game outright outright
1: i like the change up i'm gonna go with the irish here jack cohen revenge game right you, you see kind of wisconsin maybe this could be the 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 grass isn't always greener on the other side i know Graham mertz played really well especially in that illinois game last year for kind of just kind of going up and down the rest of the way. Not a great start to this 2021 season. I think Notre Dame 2021, Jack Cohen here, revenge game, gets the revenge, plays well, because he has, at least to his credit, played pretty well for the most part. To your point, it's been the defense that's been very up and down. But Wisconsin, I don't think their offense really doesn't scare you too much. Graham Mertz has kind of not really kind of gone back to that Illinois five-touchdown performance that he had to start his career. So it's going to be a low-scoring game. And you're giving me five and a half points for Notre Dame. I'll take the Irish, and I will say outright victory. So you're going Wisconsin outright. I'll go Notre Dame here. Outright win. I like how we're on opposite sides here in a great Midwestern clash that should be, in terms of stadium-wise, a lot of fun atmosphere-wise, where mm-hmm. Chicago is kind of dead center between Notre Dame and uh, Madison. It should be a lot of fun there. Another neutral site game, this time in the SEC, number seven, Texas A&M taking on number 16, Arkansas, at Jerry's World. The Aggies, despite having a backup quarterback, are
2: five-and-a-half-point favorites here over the Razorbacks.
1: Tripp, which way are you going here, man?
2: Yeah, I think this is a little bit more physical, a little bit more low-scoring than maybe some people will think when you just hear Texas A&M involved in a game. So kind of like that Notre Dame-Wisconsin game where a front seven, For example, Wisconsin. I think their front seven's the difference. I'll take Texas A&M still, though, in this game.
1: Two low-scoring games, and you're taking the favorite in both of them to not only win but cover as well. I'm gonna go Mm -hmm. the opposite here. I think Arkansas. To your point, I think I'm with it. I think it's gonna be a physical, low-scoring game. Especially Arkansas can run the ball and be physical really well. I think that bodes well for them. Keep a low-scoring, keep it close. We'll see if Texas A&M is back at quarterback, uh, Calzada, who you know struggled a little bit coming in. Uh, against Colorado a few weeks ago. It's going to be a tough physical game, but if it's going to be another low-scoring game similar to what we both think is going to be Notre Dame-Wisconsin. I'll take the underdog here. Five and a half points. Keep it close. That's all that matters here. Sam Pittman has kind of turned this program around very, very quickly so far in his second year in Arkansas. I think that continues with a close game here. And similar to Notre Dame, trip. I'll go the outright upset. I think Arkansas wins this game. Wow. wow there wow. we go. Well, it's. I'll say this so far that we're on opposite sides here. It's good for you. You never kind of want to agree with me. These, these picks have never gone my way. So, so far, the key to going 5-0 and zero is disagreeing with every single pick i make, making. You're doing a great job so far. All right. Um,
2: well, it's good. that makes it interesting, too. You know, one of us is either going to be the big winner, or one of us is probably going to be the big loser.
1: And listen, history shows I'm usually on the losing side for sure. That is absolutely true. Let's go to the NFL here, Trip. For me, out of the five games, I don't know about you, for you, this is the hardest game I personally think have to pick here. Buccaneers-Rams, two Rams, two of the best teams in the NFC, two of the best teams in the NFL. Rams are at home in LA, so the Buccaneers making their first road trip of the season. Bucks, though, favored by one and a half points. Very tight spread here against two very good teams. Which way are you going here? Winner
2: of this game, the early favorite to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl, in your opinion? I would agree, yes. I like the Bucs.
1: You're going with the Buccaneers and Tom Brady. Now, full disclosure here. The Rams are my Super Bowl pick. They're actually my Super Bowl champion. I'm a big believer in Matthew Stafford. This is kind of the year they were quarterback away last year. And I think that uh, Matthew Stafford is the answer for Sean McVay. We've seen it already. Through two weeks, he's playing pretty well.
2: Is there a more overrated coach than Sean McVay? Not that he hasn't done a lot of great things, but he is overrated. Why? Why? Well, I think he's done a really nice job with a lot of really talented players. Probably got the most he could out of Jared Goff. But I come back to that Super Bowl against the Patriots. And he was just out-coached the entire game. Supposed to be an offensive genius. And they couldn't do anything in the worst Super Bowl I have ever watched from an entertainment standpoint in my lifetime. And, you know, you mentioned before that I'm a big Philadelphia fan. Here every I knew this is coming. Played, I every time coming. they played the Eagles, here we go. All you heard about was Sean McVay, whiz kid, and Doug Peterson undressed him every time.
1: So that's, that's it. it. So if you if you have Nick Foles and, and Doug Peterson, if you're not hanging, what do they hang? Forty points on, on the the Patriots that Super Bowl victory. You stink. You suck. That's what you're saying. <laughs>
2: No, I'm not saying that in particular, but I just think that they've underachieved in a few big spots for Mr. Boy genius. Not that he's not a really, really good coach, but I think he's a bit overrated and maybe he's come back down to planet earth. But for a few years there, you're listing the best coaches in the NFL and it would be Belichick, Reed, Payton, Tomlin, McVay. It's like McVay. Yeah, he's, he's good. They're a good regular season team, but for a while there too, San Francisco was down and obviously they're better and down and now hopefully better again. Although when we get to the next pick that we may disagree on that one, uh, Arizona was down before they got Kyler Murray. They're kind of in flux there while they couldn't find a quarterback to throw to the great skill position players they had. Seattle was good in that division, but they played in a lousy division too. So, So I think that, that helps when you're playing in a lousy division. It might make you look a little bit better than you actually are. There's not a lot of defense being played.
1: Wow. Okay. Sean McVay over it. Now, you're not the first person the only person to say that. I do think part of – I think this is the year, though, for Matthew Stafford. This is the quarterback that kind of reminds everyone so far that, you know what, maybe it was Jared Jared Goff. Not maybe, it was Jared Goff that was more the issue of just not getting the most out of the offense, not Sean McVay getting figured out. Now, I wouldn't say two games. I feel – Let's say 100% about it because there's been some points in both the Bears and the Colts games where the offense has gotten bogged down. You know, there wasn't Mm. that much creativity and then they kind of slowed down. But 2 0, and you are taking the Buccaneers. I'm going to stick with the Rams here. Wow. I am. I do think that this is a game where, you know what? If both offenses, I don't say they're even because right now I think the Buccaneers have the advantage. They've just been, you know, flying in all cylinders. But to be fair, they played the Cowboys defense, which has been leaky, although they kind of shored up a little bit last week against the Chargers. And a Falcons defense, my goodness, trip. I mean, me and you might be able to start in that Falcons defense. They are just <laughs> horrendous. So now you go, <laughs> I mean, I don't they know what your 40-time is, but, jeez.
2: Either them or Jacksonville.
1: Yeah, I mean, oh
2: God. Yeah, you, you, know what, you might right. The Texans been surprising. We'll see how they do with Mills at quarterback this week. But they, the Texans actually aren't the worst team. I thought they would be coming into the season. I'm 100% with you.
1: I thought that was going to be by far the least competitive team. I mean, if you had to put a number on it, I probably would have guessed 0-17 more than anything else for them just because it's so depleted. And they have been right. One, uh, crazy at 1-1, one, one, one of the surprise teams, and they're not going to exactly do anything, maybe get four wins. But they have been complaining hard for David Culley. It's good to see. So to your mm-hmm. point, that opens the door for a team like the Falcons that have just been getting their doors blown off on defense so far. But I will say, you're going against Aaron Donald. You're going against Jalen Ramsey. This is the biggest test defensively Tom Brady is going to have to go against. Where? maybe does have Antonio Brown, one less weapon to worry about if he can't come off the COVID list. I am this kind of just lines up where the Rams at home, underdog, I'll take L.A., Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford kind of remind everyone this is going to be a one-two punch to fear the rest of the season.
2: So this I'm is- a little worried about the running back situation, though. Henderson, yes. I think, didn't practice this morning or yesterday. He was on the did-not-practice list, and you already are without Cam Akers. Uh, they need a good running game to support that offense throughout the course of the season, especially going against a good defense like Tampa. You don't want to become one-dimensional. I
1: totally agree. Now I will say, running back, I think you'd agree, the one position where it is easiest to kind of mm-hmm. plug and play if you have injuries. And mm-hmm. so, look, the Colts' defense isn't exactly world beaters. Sony Michelle, when uh, Henderson did go out, did, you know, had some nice runs. They kind of yeah. set them up in the field goal range to eventually kick the game-winning field goal. I think if he has to have the majority of the carries, 20, 25 carries, I think they'll be fine in terms of trying to establish some semblance of a run game to keep the Buccaneers' defense off balance. Three picks, all three of us going against each other. Again, this is this is really shaping up to be a big week for you. Packers, 49ers. You just mentioned the 49ers before. Packers now going to uh, San Francisco in a spot that, outside of last year, they have been dominated by, in recent years, in this little uh, matchup, if you will, Packers on the road after that big—we'll call it a big—week two it victory was. over the Lions, right to kind of get things back on track. Mm-hmm. Three and a half point
2: underdogs here, going to San Fran. What are you thinking on this one? Packers getting points is a complete steal. Take it and hammer it all day. I mean, wow, San Francisco. I thought I thought the Eagles were the better team last week against the 49ers, and they didn't capitalize on their chances to score in the first half. Let An average San Francisco team hang around Garoppolo did not look good I think he ranked somewhere around like 27th in the NFL last week in if you take the passes that are supposed to be made he was bottom five in completions and passes that are supposed to be made something around that where he just missed easy easy throws if Garoppolo plays like that even though they won last week in Philly uh, they'll have to go to Trey Lance sooner rather than later. I, I think San Francisco was not good last week. I think they were lucky to escape Philly with a win. Um, it was more self-inflicted by the Eagles. Uh, I didn't think I was not impressed. So I would go Green Bay all day to get point. I, I take them without the points, but to get points is a complete steal in this. You got to go Packers. Guarantee. Are you gonna lock it up? Is this, is this uh, like
1: your lock of the week here? This lock sounds like the door.
2: The lock row the key in the Hudson. <laughs>
1: Um, I have some bad news for you. I am actually in total agreement here. Oh, no. I know. I'm sorry. If you want to change it, I'll give you plenty of opportunity <laughs> no, to go no, back.
2: No, 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 This one's a stone-cold lock.
1: But for all the reasons you just mentioned, I agree with you. This is the Packers. Look, that, that we just both kind of mentioned before. It's the Lions. I get it's week number two. But on Monday Night Football, just to get the offense back rolling again, just to quiet the noise that came after that week one drubbing by the Saints, you get back on track, to your point, you're going against an offense in San Francisco that, I like Jimmy Garoppolo, I think he could be good, I think part of it is just this quarterback competition, you hear Kyle Shannon kind of say after the game in this week as well, like, there's really no plan for Trey Lance. Like, he played a little bit in week number one, did not take one snap But week number two, it's basically a gut feel for him, like, oh yeah, maybe I'll feel like i will throw him in here, or maybe not, I, I mean, maybe I'm making too much of it, I just don't like that approach to where I feel like it almost hurts Jimmy Garoppolo, where he's even though he's a starter and even though you know it sounds like he's going to be the starter for most of the year until Trey Lines can surpass him, I don't know how much confidence that gives you if you're Jimmy Garoppolo. You're constantly looking over your shoulder where, hey, Trey, uh, Kyle Shanley, just wake up in the morning and feel like, you know what, yeah, I feel like Trey, Trey Lines maybe should start. And like honestly, with that surprise, like week four, he just all of a sudden just jumps in. Like I don't like how the quarterback, um, I guess competition,
2: is getting played and, out where it's like just a gut feeling of, yeah, I feel like it, nah, I don't feel like it. And I would say this, because they're built to run the football, and they still wanted to run the ball last week, even though they have so many problems right now in the backfield. I don't know if they're going to rely on Sermon at some point, but I feel like Lance adds an extra dimension with his legs that Garoppolo does not. So why wouldn't you do that? And if you're I think Kyle Shanahan, and you'll see – I think he's a great offensive coach. Their strength of their team, as much as they're built to run, they want to run, to have Kittle, to have – Samuel, I, I think those are probably their best two offensive players. They've got to figure out whatever Ayuk did to be in the doghouse. They need mm-hmm. him in the lineup, too. The strength of their team really may come in the passing game, so they may have to adapt as the season goes. I just don't think they're going to do it yet, and, and maybe Lance is a better fit with you know, getting them outside the pocket, running the football, but then also exploring some options and getting... They, Kittle did not have any involvement in the offense last week, and, and they're going to need to get him more involved if they want to be most effective.
1: I'm with you. We just talked about fourth the Rams when it comes to right, running back injuries and running back being the the one um, position where I think it's the easiest to kind of plug and play, but when you look at San Francisco and their <laughs> injuries, it is just... Like, you have all three running backs at one point get hurt last yeah. week. You already have Raheem most out for the season. It's almost like 2020 all over again, where anyone that just touches the field in the running back room is hurt in one way or another. Yeah. It's...
2: To your point. Hey, you can you can plug and play until you're the Baltimore Ravens and you're down to signing guys <laughs> off practice squads and the waiver wire because you're down in your top three. Right. Guys literally <laughs> off the street coming off the couch and
1: suiting up three days later. It is oh, a total mess here. So the one game we are in agreement on, both Packers three plus uh, three plus three and a half in San Francisco. Final game of the slate here in the NFL. Chargers at Chiefs and AFC West showdown. Kansas City at home.
2: Chargers six and a half point underdogs. Trip, where are we leaning here? So that's a lot of points to give the Chargers. Uh, that makes it a lot tougher. But they just—you saw it again last week. Doesn't matter who the coach is. Doesn't matter who the quarterback is. Oh, yeah. A game they should have won against the Cowboys. And not that Dallas is a team. I think they're very similar to San or to the Chargers. I Almost called them San Diego Chargers, <laughs> Los Angeles Chargers. In Dallas, find stupid ways to lose sometimes too. But the Chargers are the kings of finding ways to lose. And this this game, the loser of this game, drops to 1-2. and two. Mm-hmm. And I just don't see the Kansas City Chiefs at 1-2. and two. So I like the Chiefs. I figure the Chargers will find some silly way to not even cover a 6.5-point spread. I
1: am with you in terms of the Chiefs winning here. I will take the Chargers to cover. Though. To your point. Basically, a touchdown on the road. Now, the Chargers find new ways to lose, and they, talent-wise, don't compete with the Chiefs. I will say, though, the Chargers a have
2: a lot in the NFL. What was that? Sorry, a touchdown is a lot. It is the NFL. Six and, and a half points is a lot for an NFL game.
1: You look at the Chargers how they're built. They are constructed, at least fundamentally, to like give the Chiefs like they are one of the teams that kind of given the Chiefs the hardest time. You know, mm-hmm. like they have a great, a great front four. They can get after the quarterback. They have a, when they're healthy, a solid secondary. Like this is a team that truly is built to compete with the Chiefs. We saw them play, you know, down to the wire last year in Justin Herbert's first start uh, in the NFL. The week 17, we won't count that because Patrick Holmes and none of the starters played and the Chargers rolled. But this has always been a team that's given Mahomes fits and kept it close. So you're giving me a touchdown. I know it's on the road and I know it's the Chiefs, to your point, coming off a loss, especially at home. They should win this game and they will win this game. I'll take the Chargers, though. Keep it close. Keep it within a touchdown. Keep that nail-biting game that this kind of little rivalry, if you will, has developed into the last two, three years. With the Chargers. So the five games we have on the slate: Notre Dame, Wisconsin. I'm going Notre Dame plus five and a half. Trip going Wisconsin outright to win. AM in Arkansas, I will take the Hogs plus five and a half. Uh trip going Texas AM. Buccaneers at Rams. Brian Tripp going with the Buccaneers minus one and a half. I will take the Rams. Both of us on the Packers plus three and a half at the 49ers. Trip taking the Chiefs minus six and a half. I will take the Chargers. The real way, Tripp, to kind of really cement yourself and separate yourself from the rest of the pack here is by predicting a big upset special. Two points if you're upset, your underdog outright gets the victory. One bonus point if they do cover here. College, NFL, which way are you going? Who are you feeling? Can keep it close, maybe get a,
2: a big upset victory this week. Well, I was leaning NFL, and then I started going through some of the college games. I thought the Bears would cover at Cleveland, and at least in the NFL, you might have a chance for an upset win, but if you're looking for a real big spread, uh, you go to college, Yes. and I think Rutgers-Michigan's the way to go. I like Rutgers to cover. I don't know that they'll win the game to get me that additional bonus point, but I think Rutgers will play Michigan tough with Greg Chiano. and. What what was it at yesterday? 18 and a half, I believe, when I yes. texted you my pick. Yeah. I like Rutgers against Harbaugh and Michigan to cover and keep it maybe like a ten point game. I don't think they'll win it, but they've done a they're a much better team this year. And that Big Ten East is loaded. The way Maryland has started the year, Michigan State under Mel Tucker scoring points, they look good. Rutgers is obviously much improved under Greg Giano. Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan's off to a really good start. The Big Ten East is for And when you start looking ahead at that Penn State schedule, as I know oh. you've had. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's, Tough. there's not many weeks where you can take your foot off the gas, especially if you're trying to make the college football playoff, which most projections have Penn State as the third or fourth team in the playoff after three weeks with a long way to go.
1: Long. You know what, Trip? I like James Franklin's mantra. I'm glad he kind of changed up this year instead of going, you know, Villanova, Villanova, vanilla. I like the 1-0. That's, that's what it's about. Villanova is the biggest opponent on Penn State's schedule this year. 1-0, win that game, keep it going. I like the Rutgers pick. Michigan's playing really well, and that's a team that people are now starting to believe in. All right, that's a team that, oh, maybe Michigan could be in it. You look mm-hmm. at their, look, Washington, I thought they would kind of show up more than they actually did. I forgot, to be honest, John Donovan was their offensive coordinator, which – Going back to his Penn State days, you see the lack of creativity there. We saw it on full display for Washington a few weeks ago, and they played at the big house. I like the Rutgers pick, a very plucky Rutgers team, keeping it close. 18 and a half in the big house. Go the Scarlet Knights. I will also stick with um, college football. I'll go with another big spread in the Big 12. West Virginia is getting 17 Mm -hmm. points on the road at Oklahoma. Now it's the Saturday night, you know, 7.30 ESPN kickoff game. Mm -hmm. Look at Oklahoma this year. I'll be honest. This is my national title pick. I really thought that this was kind of the year the defense would play legitimately well in the offense with, uh, you know, in year two, in year two of a full Spencer Rattler, Lincoln Riley relationship would really explode. It hasn't happened, right? Offensively, last week against Nebraska, they struggled. The first week, Tulane's offense uh, made it close in the second half, and this is a game where they kind of had to held on, uh, hold on. They have not played anywhere up to their potential so far. West Virginia coming off a nice win over Vatek, upset at home. I think they take they go on the road, keep it close. I'm not predicting them to win, but just keep it close. Oklahoma is right now showing you no reason to believe that they can actually turn it around, flip a switch this quickly here, and all of a sudden get to the Oklahoma where they should be the kings of the Big 12 and one of the best teams in college football. I'll take a kind of sputtering right now, Oklahoma, uh, to keep it close against Wilson Jr., plus 17. Give me the Mountaineers. Fingers crossed. I like that.
2: I like that one. It's a good one. So, triple, we'll finish off with this here as our
1: picks are in. You are on the sidelines this past Saturday night, whiteout crowd at Auburn. Mm-hmm. What was it like being on the field? I thought, personally, we've both been to a ton of whiteout games uh, in recent years. I think this is one of the most louder and fun whiteout games with a lot of juice than maybe the past few years. I'm curious your thoughts. What was it like being on the field?
2: Well, I think it's a unique matchup. So, number one, I think that's really important for yes. college football. I know that's been debated a lot this week about The alliance that the Big Ten is forming, and would that take away from certain matchups with the SEC? Well, number one, they have to, when they do the college football playoffs and remake this thing to 12 teams, the teams have to be rewarded for playing top competition from other conferences, because college football is a lot better when you have a matchup like the Penn State-Auburn. And this could be a once in, I mean, if you look back at the history of not just Penn State and Auburn, but big 10 teams against sec teams recently this is only the third ever game in the regular season between a ranked big 10 team and a ranked sec team that's uh, you just don't see it it never happens so i think that adds a lot of juice to it so i think that was the first thing as to why people were excited for it um but also to not have the whiteout experience last year to not have fans in the stadiums. I I think there really is a genuine sense of gratitude and appreciation to have the opportunity to attend games and go to games and people recognize what they missed. Um, So I think that's a big reason why it's so loud at these stadiums, or at least you can tell people are pumped to be there no matter what. It's a big game for Penn State, but I I agree with you. I think that atmosphere was as good as any whiteout um, that I've been to. I think when Auburn had big third and fourth downs in the fourth quarter. The crowd, I've never heard it that loud. I took my headset off and your head. It's almost impossible to describe what the sound really is down there. I know everyone says deafening avalanche of sound, but it is. It's not, you don't hear the individual cheers. You don't really hear the music. You don't really hear the announcer in the stadium. You just hear, it's just this rattling of sound, constant sound, almost like Um, a jet engine taking off, you know, where it's not a distinguished or a distinct sound. And and that's what it felt like on the field. And it's really hard to describe, but it was electric. It was such a great game too.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean,
2: back and forth, it really felt like a heavyweight fight. I think Auburn's going to have an excellent year. Penn state obviously has a really good, really well-balanced team, which I think is what makes them dangerous. They can beat you in all. Three facets, offense, defense, special teams. They're complementing each other. Uh, Dotson's probably a star on offense, but they don't really have that, you know, number one elite. Like the defense, as good as Jaquan Brisker and Jesse Lucetta and Brandon Mm. Smith have been, and all could be next level players. It's not like they have a Chase Young or a Joey Bosa on that defense at this point. Same thing offensively. They probably don't have a Heisman favorite quarterback. They don't have a Heisman favorite running back receiver type of thing. Uh, as good as Clifford and Dotson have been, and that type. they're really well balanced though, and they're I don't think they have any holes. So I think that's what makes Penn State really good. They're they can beat a lot of different ways, and you saw what Mike Juracek's offense, the untapped potential there. Uh, they're really impressive, really really impressive so far.
1: I'm with The versatility, especially we just listed before the Big Ten East, the Big Ten overall tough game, you know road game against Iowa in a few weeks. You got to be balanced. You got to be versatile, winning in a bunch of different ways. To your point, Penn State can do it. Pente can absolutely do it. And the perspective on the field is cool because, you know, we, you know, I was there on Saturday too, but you're in the stands. It's different because you're yelling towards the field. But to actually hear your experience of being like you're the guy everyone's yelling at, like where you're in the area where all mm-hmm. the noise at once is being directed. It's cool to kind of hear that perspective because in the stadium you hear, you know, people around you, hear it's loud, but all the noise is directed towards one area on the field. So I can only imagine what that must have been like. Just totally, totally awesome. Great to have that kind of atmosphere back. Quickly, Philly, you're a big Sixers fan. What the hell happens with Ben Simmons? Huh. <laughs> Who knows?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I just don't – the Sixers are losing their leverage because the way Simmons is playing it, but I can't wait till he, the first game he comes. He's not going to be on the Sixers. It's just a matter of what they're going to get for him at this point. I think the Sixers can try to force his hand and find him, but he's making $177 million. So do he really care if he gets fined? Um, he doesn't want to be there. And, and they have to move on. They want to move on from him to begin with. But right. how do you get, he is still a young superstar with a couple of years of team control, who's the, the best or one of the best defensive players in the NBA. Uh, he's just not a great fit with Embiid and the personnel they have. And obviously they've chosen, I think rightfully so, to build around Embiid and Tobias Harris rather than Ben Simmons, because his style of play in the modern NBA is probably not gonna win you a championship. He's more of a, for better or worse, a complimentary piece. Right. Um, Or if you find the right piece to put him with, you know, an elite shooter, I think him and Damian Lillard would be ridiculous, or him and Steph Curry would be ridiculous uh, if he would end up on Portland or Golden State. So it's a matter of the Sixers getting something back They're not going to get what they should get back for a guy with the talent of Ben Simmons, but getting something back that they can tolerate. And then when he comes back to Philly, I can't wait to see (laughs) you know, Philly fans get a unique reputation. Um, But I don't know any former athlete that comes back and think about T.O. or J.D. Drew or all the Michael Irvin when he played with the Cowboys, not necessarily coming back, but a rival coming in and the treatment they got. Uh, This one might be the topper of them all, especially when they do the Frosty Freeze out at the free throw line, and if he misses two free throws, then everyone gets a free frosty. So you're saying there won't crazy. be a,
1: a nice little like thank you video montage, standing ovation. You know the, when he kind of runs on the court for the first time. I can't believe that. No, I, I don't <laughs>
2: think he's gonna get that. Um, I, I think JJ Redick will get his before Ben Simmons gets gets
1: one. I'll say one thing really quickly here. I'm with you. I think the Sixers tried to trade him, and to your point, that the returns right now are not what they want. Does it make sense for both sides? Have him play. Be like James Harden in Houston last year. Have him play a month, you know, and just build his stock back up. I get you can only do so much in one month of the regular season because that lasting uh, image from the postseason is going to kind of linger longer. Is there any chance you can get him back for a month, play back to regular season Ben Simmons, which is still a really good player, and then maybe kind of lure a team or try to get a team involved to
2: give you what you want? No, because I think everyone already knows what he is in the regular season and knows what he is in the postseason. So I don't think that would change much, at least in my opinion. Well, it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out mm-hmm. and what the Sixers can yeah. actually do get back. I, I find that the second most fascinating thing in sports right now, besides whether it's going to be Jacob Eason or Jacoby Brissett <laughs> this week for the Colts or quarter quarterback. Well,
1: I wish it was Jacoby Brissett, Jacob oh. Eason, or Brett Hundley.
2: Brett Hundley. Brett
1: Hundley, <laughs> which apparently now they could go to a two quarterback system. You know, so
2: yeah. when Carson we saw it, Four ankles. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah.
1: Ironically, this hurts you too. You know that, right? If Carson Wentz misses time, you don't get no. a first and round pick. I
2: really like Carson Wentz. I love no, him. No, you actually. don't. I thought he was. No, I I, I thought he's a elite talent with a great arm, an unbelievable skill set. He's like Houdini the way he escapes. He but is. somewhere along the way, he lost his rhythm and timing for when to throw the football he holds the ball too long um he's certainly developed a propensity to take chances that he probably doesn't need to take and he's not the same guy that he was in his mvp what should have been an mvp season before he got hurt in 2017. um and i think i don't know maybe he just tries to carry the team too much but i think he's a great talent He's injury-prone, and even if the Eagles only get a second-round draft pick out of it now instead of the first round this year, that if they don't meet the 70% threshold um, and make the playoffs for 75% overall, I, I think if you look at Wentz's durability, and uh, he can't stay healthy. Getting a second-round pick for him is a bargain, and if he doesn't play, the Colts are going to stink, so it's going to be an early second-round pick.
1: Who, who will get a warmer reception in Philly? Ben Simmons or Carson Wentz?
2: Wentz. Yeah, Simmons wow. is an all-time okay. villain for
1: the stunt. Wow, all right. Well, whew, that's tough. Well, Tripp, man, it's good for you that four of the five picks you made are opposites. So that means you are primed for a huge, huge week here. We appreciate you coming on, man. Best of luck.
2: Thanks so much for having me. It's great to check, check in with you, and we'll uh, hopefully see you soon. When Carson Wentz is
1: back on the field, leading the Colts to the playoffs, we'll definitely have you on to get your reaction, right? I
2: hope so. No, I honestly do hope so. <laughs> I, I, I really do, I, I, I really like the guy, but it's just,
1: it's not working. No, no, it is not. Trip, man, be well. We'll see you. Well, we're here on the sidelines this weekend and the rest of the season and excited for hockey back. Let's go. Pants and wait. Hockey, Frozen Four, here they come.
2: Hope so. Hope so. Fingers Hope crossed. Hope
1: so. Trip, man, appreciate it, man. Talk to you soon. See ya. Brian Trip, Guy who, smartly, that's the strategy. If you listening to Hickey's Pickies, you want to hop on and be a contestant. Do what Trip does. Go against me. Maybe if you want, I'll, I'll even go first and give my pick. So That way you can guarantee that you will be opposite of mine. Rough week number two, going one and four. But again, thank you to Fresno State and Jay Kaner for that huge win over UCLA. They kind of keep me from just being uh, having an awful, awful week. Six and six of the first two weeks. But I'm our you guys' pickers, three and two, three and two. Both above 500. Both picking more winners than losers so far. And that's what we're shooting for here on the Ryan Hickey Show. So that will do. We appreciate Chip coming on here, giving us his insight. That will do it for this Thursday edition of the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Network. Appreciate all of you who tuned in, who started your Thursday with us. Have a great week. Week number three starts tonight. I will take the Carolina Panthers. Shocker! I know, really going out on a limb there, taking down the Houston Texans. Enjoy Thursday night football tonight. Enjoy a loaded weekend of college football in the NFL. We'll break it all down for you on Monday morning. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Network. So have a safe weekend, stay sane, and of course we'll talk to you Monday. Right here on the Worldwide Sports, it, it, World Sports Radio
0: Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.